Welcome into the Bear Facts Podcast, all UCLA, all the time with Ben Bulch. I'm Lindsay Ethier at the Los Angeles Times. We're going to get you ready for the Bruins football season, for the season of quarterback Josh Rosen. And we're going to introduce you to Ben Bulch, the new guy on the UCLA beat with the Los Angeles Times. Ben, quite the transition, I'm sure, from covering the NBA to moving in to college football. Well, my commute got a lot better because I can be from my apartment here in six minutes. So you can't beat that. No more Staples Center. No more Playa Vista for Clippers practices, and uh, I'm all for that. So you live next to campus, so you're kind of totally immersed in this Bruin culture. Yes, and I've actually like wanted to cover this beat for like 15 years, so I'm, I'm thrilled to, to be here, and uh, I'm all in. How many times have you been to Fat Sal's? Uh, well, since um, a couple of basketball players got food poisonings from some um, chicken chili cheese fries back in 2010, I have crossed that off my list. Although it does six years, you don't think they've cleared that up in I six years? I hope so, but you know, Jerry Ferrar, I think he can. Uh, he's got the money to get the uh, the health upgraded, health standards upgraded. So let's hope it happens. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some UCLA football. The story around Westwood is always going to be, while he's at least on campus, Josh Rosen. Uh, Josh told us very first day of camp that, uh, you know, Jim Morris spoke with him over the summer about some issues that popped up on social media, that Josh is never going to change who he is. And you know what? Josh shouldn't change. Josh is a very unique individual, but he's going to change perhaps the way he delivers his message. Maybe not wearing a bandana on the Trump golf course that has a few choice words for Donald Trump, maybe not going after the NCAA when, in fact, uh, it's supposed to be a good news day for UCLA. What have you noticed? This is your first real time around Josh Rosen. Yeah, you know, I was expecting, um, you know, a guy that, you know, if you kept him talking long enough, he would would kind of, you know, pop off a little bit and maybe say some things that maybe uh, didn't reflect so well on him or, or the university. But you know, so far, the three times we've talked to him, I've been uh, impressed, and, and he has kind of kept to that vow of, you know, he may be thinking something, but he's not going to let you know uh, things that, uh, you know, might be a little bit controversial or, or, or something that's going to reflect, uh, you know, poorly. So, uh, so far, so good. It is super early. They haven't played a game yet. Um, so lots of time for him to, to keep this up. It's interesting because I've been covering Josh since he was a sophomore at St. John Bosco High School. It's quite a, quite a long time. I can't believe I'm admitting I've been doing this that long. Um, but Josh has never lacked for confidence. He's never lacked for personality. And it's kind of interesting because in the media, we get tired of hearing the same old sound bites, the same thing all the time. And Josh definitely mixes it up. So where's that balance between mixing it up and speaking your mind and then not becoming public enemy number one and coming off as a, as a bad kid. Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, you want to be honest, forthright, and interesting, and yet you don't want to, you know, call somebody a coward, like, uh, you know, not, so. to get too, hey. not to go too Olympic on you here, but, um, you know, and, and some of the things that Josh has said, you know, criticizing Trump and the NCAA, um, you know, you probably want to keep that to yourself. So there is a, a fine line, and I think he's learning that. You know, he's only... 19 years old, and he, he has a lot to learn. Um, the thing that in the SI about the uh, the beer bottles, I think probably didn't reflect great on him. And 19 dropped. years old and all the beer bottles. <laughs> well, he, you know, we all did it though. Uh, Come on, well, we've all done yes, it. Yes, we did. But you know, as he as he as the article said, he said that he didn't contribute to any of the empties. So we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Wink, wink. But um, you know, he, he's. Um, 
he's been he's he's a refreshing kind of guy that I think this team needs as far as you know somebody who is going to say have the pulse of the team and tell you what's going on. So that is refreshing to have that. The hot tub was legendary. Okay, so that's Josh Rosen, his personality. But on the field, you know, I've been hearing tons of things about Josh down at Manning Academy and, and how well he did. This guy is a pure quarterback. He's so good. Uh, you know, Jim Mora, I think, touted him a little bit much, saying, you know, Josh could be what something like the number one pick right now if he came out, uh, something to that extent. But Josh is kind of that good out there. He made, he made a few bad throws last season going across his body. But what have you seen from him this uh, this fall, I should say? Yeah, you know, this is really my first time seeing him. And, and the things that I've heard, I've kind of – seen out there so far you know obviously he's he's head and shoulders above everybody else they have mm-hmm. out there he can make amazing NFL caliber throws. and he makes it look so easy he does but I will say that you know on a on a play in and play out basis I'm not blown away and from what I've heard he is a kind of a gamer who rises mm-hmm. to the game day challenge and really elevates his play so I'll be interested to see if that is reflected in what I've seen so far, not to denigrate anything I've seen in camp, I think he's looked fine and, and, and in fact very good. But you know, I do expect to be wowed when you know he takes the field and actually plays in a game. Who were his big receivers this year? Because last year, obviously, it was Jordan Payton and Thomas Duarte, time and time again. Who have you kind of zeroed in on out there? Yeah, it's a handful of guys. I mean, they're going to be kind of doing it by committee because they are replacing four of their top five pass catchers. And a couple of guys who stood out to me in, in uh, camp were. Um, the tight end Nady Essay, who I think was just really uh, phenomenal. He's got the, the really good size. Um, Jim Mora the other day was comparing his hands to Jerry Rice and Chris Carter, which uh, some of these coaches and the <laughs> comparisons they make. Yeah, I was uh, I was a little surprised to hear that, but he, you know he did look good, and I think he could be a go-to guy um, in a tight situation. And, and some other guys who looked good, uh, Kenny Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he's he's admitting that he needs to work on his hands and, and, and holding onto the ball. You know, the first pass of Josh Rosen's career was a deep bomb to Walker who dropped it. And, you know, I think that's sticking with him and something he wants to, to, to overturn. I remember so, that pass. You, yeah, re- oh, I, you weren't there. No. But it's a very memorable pass because yeah. Josh Rosen just let it fly and everyone went, he's arrived, right. and then it. You, you know what? I've been thinking it would be interesting if they went to him on a deep pass for Josh's first pass of this year. Let him have a second shot at that and put that completely out of his memory and just like, you know, that's gone now. We've gotten over that. And I mean, not to say he can't get over it anyway, but I think that would be like a little bit of cool poetic justice if they consider doing that. Have you but mentioned that to Jim Mora? I have not. Maybe you should try to, that, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so Nate... Kenny. Yes. Um, what about Ishmael Adams? How's yes. he looked? Yeah, he's he's another guy, um, you know, with the conversion from DB to to wide receiver. He's looked really good. He probably had the best play of the uh, fan day out in San Bernardino when he, you know, had a deep route and, and Josh found him. Um, and somebody shouted out a, a nickname that uh, was not original, but it might stick. They said Rocket Ishmael. So um, roll your eyes if you if you want, but it, <laughs> I didn't it, roll my it, eyes. It, I didn't it, roll my eyes. It seems it's it works. I think that one could work. So those, and I I, I will give a shout out as well um, to to some of the the bigger guys, uh, Eldridge Massington and Alex Van Dyke. You know they have really good size um, that I think really makes them nice big targets for Josh. And then let's not forget freshman Theo Howard. You know he was sidelined early in camp by a hamstring. But came on and, and made some nice plays, um, you know, the second week in San Bernardino. So 
Um, you know, I think he could be a factor, and some people have said he might be the best pure receiver on this team before it's all said and done. So lots of options, but they definitely need some, you know a couple of guys to step up. Something that's unique at UCLA, um, they don't release a depth chart. So we don't really see kind of in Jim Mora's eyes exactly who is the clear-cut one, two, three type player at each position. You know, generally, you can tell the difference on, on game day, who goes out there and lines up first. But uh, at running back, they have three guys who are capable, um, you know, and that's going to be a big task to replace the, the production that they had last year. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Jim Moore has been very kind of um, PC on, on, the, on the who's, you know, leading the, the charge. They are saying they're he's listing them all three as starters because so they're all three going to, you know, have lots of carries throughout the year. And that, and that may be the case. Uh, but then it's interesting to hear uh, uh, Kenny Palomalo, the offensive coordinator, saying, you know, no, he actually wants one of those guys to step up. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um, as far as, you know, getting getting the established kind of workhorse running back. And then the three guys we're talking about are... Uh, So-so, Bolu, and uh, Nate Starks. Yeah, and yeah. They, all, they all bring a little bit different. You know, some of them are, are more sturdy and some of them have a little bit more speed. I wouldn't say that anyone, you know, watching them in camp they all kind of had their moments, but I wouldn't say that I, I just like saw one guy and just went, wow, he's going to be the guy. But, you know, in a way, it, that's good for UCLA because it's going to be tougher for, for teams to kind of game plan against three guys. And they can go with, you know, a different guy every week is kind of the featured guy, depending on how the game's going and how that plays to their strengths. What do you think the biggest weakness or concern maybe is on offense? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's going to be um, finding that that go-to guy both at receiver and mm-hmm. running back you know they're losing Paul Perkins who um, you know is one of the top running backs in, in school history um, and some prolific receivers who are in the NFL so finding those kind of guys who are going to make the big play we know Josh Rosen's going to be able to to you know carry the offense but he can't do it alone he's going to need some of these other guys to really kind of step up and, and do it with him. I tend to neglect sometimes the offensive line, but we don't want to forget the big guys. So let's go through that line. Who's healthy, who's not? It seems last year was just a rotating figure of bodies, in and out and in and out. Do they look like they have some consistency this season? Yeah, I mean, if they can keep everybody um, healthy, you know, Kenny Lacey, I, I believe, has a little bit of a knee issue that sidelined him in, in recent days. I think he's back now. But, um, you know, they know that... Um, at, at the um, tackle position, they're going to be extremely, extremely talented with uh, mm-hmm. Colton Miller and, and, and Connor McDermott, who are both already NFL size uh, guys. Connor McDermott looks like he's 30. He really does. He looks like he's a mid-career NFL already. Just looking at the guy, just not just his size, just the way he kind of looks and carries himself. Um, so... Um, you know, those two guys on, on the ends there are going to be phenomenal. And, and let's not forget, bringing a tight end uh, is going to help with the blocking as well, especially when you're going up against a guy like Texas A&M's Miles Garrett, uh, who think, many people think will be the top pick in the draft. So uh, Scott Quisenberry at center, uh, Pawazi Moala uh, and Kenny Lacey, uh, you know, flanking Quisenberry at uh, the guard spot. So uh, a good line, you know, they've talked about having actual depth there. I'm not sure that it's super quality depth but I think that you know they probably could absorb one injury um, and not drop off too far as long as it's not like Connor or Colton but um, so I think that's that's kind of where they stand. Colton Miller is kind of a name I've heard pop up a few times during training camp maybe not somebody they necessarily expected to flash as much as he has have you been able to talk to him at all? 
Yeah, he's an interesting guy. You know, his nickname is, uh, they've given him as Mini-Me, which is funny because... Because he's, he's kind of a big kid. He's, a, he's taller than Connor, and uh, I think he's about five pounds lighter. And when we say five pounds lighter on somebody who's 310 pounds, uh, that doesn't really make much of a difference. So, um, you know, looking at him, he's got NFL size for sure. Um, Coach Moore's really high on him and his potential and, and really stepping up and, and being a guy that can kind of mimic what Connor does for the line. Tom Bradley spoke with the media a week out before the Bruins play at AM and he said he didn't even try and hold back. He admitted 100% their defense, their legs are tired. That's a little bit alarming to hear a coach admit that their legs are that tired because they've got to get those things fresh before they get to College Station. But uh, looking at the defense this year, it seems like they have every reason to be pretty excited with their defensive line. And then back in the secondary, I think kind of flying under the radar is the fact that they return all their starters. Yeah, and they also get Fabian Moreau back, mm-hmm. uh, cornerback who has you know, been key for them before he got hurt. And, I mean, hearing about him last year finishing the BYU game with a broken foot, I mean – I can't even imagine you know, walking fi- with a broken foot. I can't walk with a broken toenail. Yeah, much less playing in a major college football <laughs> game. It's just insane. So I think you know the secondary last year was the uh, top-ranked pass defense in, in the Pac-12. But as Coach Moore pointed out, you know there are moments, obviously, that they need to improve on, like the end of the Washington State game mm-hmm. where you know, the, uh, a touchdown-winning pass with three seconds left cost UCLA a victory. Um, but you know the strength there with um, – uh, Randall Goforth and Jaleel Waldude at, uh, at safety mm-hmm. uh, and, and Moreau and uh, Marcus Rios at the corner spots. That's going to be a real strength. And, but the big question with the defense that everybody wants to know, can they stop the run? I mean, they were just trampled toward the end, well, really all that last so, season. What, against Nebraska, woo, that was painful to Foster Farms yeah, Bowl. That was painful. I believe it was three three opponents ran for at least 300 yards yeah. and five for at least 200. Um, so, you know, getting Eddie Vanderdose back on the line, Um, They're hoping will be a a turning point, although some people have pointed out that, you know, well, um, they had Kenny Clark last year who was equally good, and now it's kind of like swapping those two guys, so in a way it's kind of a push, which I think is a valid thing to say. So we're really going to have to see uh, some improvement from some of the other guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first bold proclamation of training camp was made by uh, Tock McKinley, uh, who said that he wanted to be or was going to be the best pass rusher or get the most sacks in the country this year. Uh, so we'll see if that holds up. That was kind of a, a bold statement to make. Um, but, you know, he's looked pretty good. He's been slowed by a groin injury over the last week or so, so we really haven't had him, seen him fly around and make plays like he hopes to. But uh, I think he should be back to full strength uh, well before uh, the AM game. Speaking of defense, uh you know, it's always tough to be a freshman. It's tough to adjust to college, college football. It's a big difference, big change all day, every day. Uh, Mike Juarez was obviously their heralded recruit, big five-star guy. Everybody wanted him. No matter what you hear, every coach wanted him. Um, a little bit surprising that this is there's been a situation through camp when he hasn't been in practice. What have you learned about that? Where do you think Mike is, and uh, is this is UCLA his future? You know, it's really kind of up in the air at this point. He was out here for the first three or four days of camp, and then uh, everybody noticed. You know, he wasn't there for a day, and it wasn't a huge deal. But we kept asking about it, and you know, Jim Mora termed it as an un- or I'm sorry, I should say, excused absence, meaning that there was a reason he was away that the coaching staff was aware of and comfortable with. 
Um, and that's been kind of the, the update, the non-update update is that he's still away with an excused absence. Um, you know, apparently, you know, some kind of personal issue he's dealing with and working through. Um, and they certainly hope to have him come back. You know, Coach Mars said, I think he went on the radio and said that, um, you know, he is with the team. Um, he's just not practicing. He's working through some stuff, and they hope to, you know, have him back. But here we are, you know, we're basically a week away from the opener, and he hasn't practiced in two weeks now. So uh, I think anybody who's watching the situation uh, has to say that at this point, um, you know, he probably won't play at least in the opener. I mean, I can't say that definitively, but uh, it seems it looks, like a long shot. Yeah, it looks, seems like a long shot. If you're even, a freshman, even if, you're not at practice. Right. The odds of um, you playing aren't great. Not at all. And um, the, you know, the other possibility that's being raised is that you know he could take a redshirt year and kind of figure out whatever's going on and and kind of come back you know next spring and and try again and start over again. So. Um, I think everybody who's kind of monitoring the situation, you know, also realizes this is an 18-year-old kid straight out of high school. And, you know, obviously there are high hopes for him, um, you know, cracking the lineup as, as, you know, a second-string guy who, you know, can make an impact. But I think the more important thing is that he figures out and resolves whatever's going on and and moves forward uh, in a productive manner. Sounds fair. Sounds like a college football team, right? Not everything's figured out. These guys aren't paid the big bucks to play. They, their kids still trying to adjust and, and figure out who they are. So, sounds fair enough. We'll move on from Mike. Uh, Texas A&M. It's in less. Th- well, it's in a week. In a week, they'll go to College Station. They'll play at Kyle Field. I've never been there. I heard it's a very intimidating place. Seen games played there uh, via television, obviously, like everybody else. But uh, they're going to have to bring it. I mean, this is not going to be an easy opener going to the SEC, going in the middle of Texas. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I was 10, um, I used to watch a lot of college football on ESPN like everybody else. And, and one of the big rivalry games I remember watching was Texas, Texas A&M. And they played at Kyle Fields. And, you know, they call it the home of the 12th man, the Aggies with the uh, Isn't the, that is that amazing? Towel, Who had the, it first? Yeah, yes. or A&M. A&M the, the, did. The, the, the waving towels and... Just you know, a sea of, of, of white and people going crazy. So you know, I, I've I've been familiar with with this, although this will be my first time there uh, to experience it. So I'm like super excited to see what it's like. And and today, one of the talking points at practice was they want to get off to a fast start on offense mm-hmm. to uh, you know to quiet that crowd and, and really take them out of the game so that they don't become a factor with not just momentum but uh, you know messing with the cadences and. And, and false starts and things like that. So that's going to be a really a point of emphasis. But I think UCLA is really excited for this challenge of, you know, going up against uh, not only an SEC team, but in a place that holds 102,000 fans and, and, and seeing what that atmosphere is like. And, and they've been really good uh, on the road in non-conference games under Jim Mora. So um, I think that, uh, you know, if that Well, trend... really slow starts, but they've finished well. <laughs> Nebraska, very bad start. Uh, then they went out to Virginia last year, really slow start. But they end up finishing well. Yes. And I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, have they lost, uh, a non, not counting bowl games, have they lost a non-conference game under Jim Moore? I don't think they You're have. You're the one with the media guide right there, yeah, Ben. Well, give it a, give you it know a what? Look-see. I was looking at this, and in August and September of – uh, the four years Jim Moore has been here, they are 15 and one, mm-hmm. um, and so that speaks to getting off to good starts and winning non-conference games. And I think that one loss was to Oregon State, so that was not a, a, a non-conference defeat. So, um, you know, I think being on the uh, quarter system has definitely 
help to UCLA as far as they can kind of treat this like NFL Football. training camp mm-hmm. right now. They're not in class. They're 100% focused on what's going on. Um, so that's been a big boon for, for them. Well, it's kind of interesting because they're playing Texas A&M, and it struck me a little bit talking to the coaches that really, though, they're just going to do one week of game planning. Sometimes some staffs kind of decide to do two weeks of game planning because they have two weeks of training camp, give them an extra week to get ready for that opener, but it's all UCLA for the first three weeks, and they're well, not turning the page to A&M. I, well, I think that's a little bit misleading because I think they've been doing a lot of film work on okay. A&M this week, and, and they've also, um, Coach Moore told us earlier in the week that they've been teaching uh, some of their scout teams how to mimic what they're going to see from Texas A&M. So they may not actually be doing it with full-on plays, but they're mm-hmm. like they're installing how to give those plays and what they're going to look like. So I think that the prep work really has already ramped up. Looking at uh, this coaching staff, it, it looks slightly different from last year. New offensive coordinator with Kennedy Palomalo getting bumped up. Rip Shears at tight ends. Uh, Marcus Tuyaso Sopo comes back to coach the quarterbacks. Uh, what I've been hearing around is that they're all getting along really well, that the, the locker room's getting along really well, and everybody just seems to be in a really positive place. You know, it's funny you mention that because one of the big unexpected revelations of training camp has been uh, the presence of a new mental conditioning coach. A mental conditioning coach. Yes. Not a sports psychologist, but a mental Can conditioning coach. Can we get one coach. of those in the Los Angeles Times? I might <laughs> need one. No comment there. Hey. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, his name is Trevor Moad. I'm actually writing about him for Monday's paper. Check the latimes.com slash sports. Nice plug, Ben. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I had a nice long conversation with Trevor, and some of the things, uh, the kind of the, the, the crucial tenets of what he does are just, you know, visualization, being positive, being in the right frame of mind, being detail-oriented, approaching things, um, very kind of diligently and, and, and planning and thinking about how you're going to do things and doing it in a positive frame. And, you know, he admits that or acknowledges that a lot of it sounds like common sense. And a lot of it is common sense, but a lot of people don't do it. And, you know, this is one of the things that uh, you got to give Jim Moore a credit for bringing this guy in. He's worked with Alabama. He's worked with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Alabama's obviously had a tremendous success uh, in recent years with Nick Saban, and he's been there throughout Saban's entire career at Alabama. So this is going to be like the big X factor to watch throughout the season. How does this kind of manifest itself? And lots of players have said, you know, the clicks are gone, the negativity has gone. Uh, they like each other a lot more. They're spending a lot more time even with guys that like aren't even in their position groups. Um, so it's definitely something to monitor uh, throughout the season. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that sounds cliche, but I think it often goes understated that if your team actually likes each other, you don't have to be best friends, but if you all mutually respect each other, you say hello to each other, you're amicable, that really goes a long ways when you're trying to win and have a winning season going to a championship level, and, and UCLA needs to get into a title game. They need to try to get into one of those premier bowl games. Uh, you know, you look at the losses last year to Washington State and Arizona State, and it's like the wheels come off. And if your team isn't together before that, they're certainly not going to be any more together after that. So I think that could definitely play into uh, their longevity this season and trying to maintain some consistency when some of these games maybe don't go quite as they planned early in the get-go. Yeah, and also kind of getting to that next level. I mean, we've talked about UCLA having you know a couple of 10-win seasons under, under Jim Mora, uh, but have not won that conference championship 
have not gone to the major bowl game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Trevor Moad says that, you know, what he does could be, you know, anywhere between 3 to 5% of a team's success. Well, you know, 3 to 5% in a game that's decided on the last play could mm-hmm. win the game. Absolutely. So this could be, you know, kind of the, the factor that takes UCLA to the next level, um, and it's going to be super interesting to watch. And if it gets that close, it could also be taken to the next level on the leg of a very young kicker. We cannot neglect. We always want to neglect special teams, but we can't. Uh, this year, Kaimi Fairbairn is gone, and that was a very dependable leg from a very long distance. Now they have a couple young kids coming in and kicking the ball. What's been the story there? Yeah, you know, another plug alert here. I wrote about him today. Um, J.J. Molson, uh, great kids, really, really fascinating backstory. His uh his family uh, is, is part owner of the uh, Molson Coors Brewing Company. So uh, any of you toasting... Like a adult drink? beverages? That's correct. Yes, obviously you oh. read my story today. Um, ben, so. <laughs> I got up. I had a quick little workout. Ran over yeah, here to UCLA and here we are. Just, I read the paper in the afternoon. Okay, well then you got some enjoyable reading. Ahead. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, so yeah, so and his, uh, his dad's second cousin owns the Montreal Canadiens. So um, a very well-known family in Canada. I think Canada Business Magazine estimated their net worth at $1.63 billion billion. uh, U.S. currency as of last December. Uh, But you would never know it talking to this kid. He's one of the nicest, most humble kids I've talked to. Um, And, uh, you know, it's funny. In Canada, the drinking age in his province is actually 18. So he was already able to enjoy the family beverage uh, and it's funny, when I asked him about it, he leaned into my microphone and said, uh, very responsibly with adult supervision, which I thought was <laughs> funny. Um, but no, he's, he's, he's kind of an interesting story. He, um, he played soccer growing up and kind of got tired of it uh, early in his high school career and, and went to the athletic director at his school in Montreal and said, you know, I need, I need something that's a bigger challenge. So he tried out for the football team, uh, you know, played some defensive back, was also the kicker and the punter. And just really uh, kind of blossomed into that role, particularly kicking. Went to some camps, especially with Chris Saylor, uh, and became. Uh, oh, those Chris you know, Saylor camps are huge. Yeah, became you know the top rate, basically the top guy in the U.S. And there was one funny story, if you don't mind me going off on a little bit of a tangent I don't here. Mind. Um, this he, is what a podcast is uh, for. Excellent, I love it. Um, he was at a camp with Nick Saban. And, you know, they were kicking from various distances, getting longer every time. He made it from 35. He made it from 45. Stepped back to make it from 55 and missed. And the special teams guy was like, you know, that's fine. You can stop there. And Nick Saban was standing right next to JJ. And he said, nope, do it again. So the kid lines up with Nick Saban standing there watching him after he just missed from this, like, incredible distance and nails it. And, And Nick Saban takes him back up to his office immediately afterward and offers him a scholarship. And he does not take it. He, you know, his dream school was always UCLA. Uh, he has a, uh, the family has a house in Palm Desert. He's, his uh, father's uh, brother-in-law lives in Orange County. He's very familiar with this area. He says he wanted a cosmopolitan lifestyle. He doesn't want to be in a small college town. So when he got the UCLA offer, he was, he was dead set on Westwood and like really wanted to come. So he said no to Nick Saban. And now he's a Bruin and uh, looked pretty good in camp, particularly late in camp. So I think that's going to be, you know, a a big storyline. He's obviously replacing the Pac-12 Conference's all-time leading scorer. Mm -hmm. But he's a kid who who covets pressure. And I wrote about this today. He has Kyle Field picture on his desktop background. He's had it there since the spring to kind of visualize 
what that would be like to be there and kicking in that environment. And he also gave me some good anecdotes about Trevor Moad working with him and getting his mindset right. So uh, this, this could be another way that uh, Trevor uh, impacts the Bruins. Well, that's a really interesting story. I mean, to have Nick Saban standing there right next to you and kicking a field goal from 55 yards out, that's, that is not easy. Uh, I couldn't even imagine, like, sipping water without spilling it in front of Nick Saban. So, yes. Well, Ben, you might get your chance. I mean, you never know how this bull season pans <laughs> out. So if you're in one of those conf- uh, press conferences with Nick Saban, yeah, we'll have to put it to don't, the test, don't right? be holding a glass of water and hope Nick Saban never <laughs> hears this. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> um, okay, so let's kind of wrap up with this. UCLA needs to have a good season. We've already mentioned that. They need to break through. There's got to be a Pac-12 title in here. They've got to get to one of the premier bowl games. Um, And they start off with four games. They're going to play Texas A&M, their UNLV, BYU, and Stanford. That's a tough first four to make it through. I don't expect that they're going to come through that without a loss. But what do you think? Can they come out three and one? I mean, if they drop that opener to A&M, what if they go down to A&M and win and then drop to Stanford? What what do you think here? You know what? I think that obviously they want to win as many of these games as they can, but I think the game that everybody has circled and wants to see is that Stanford game. I mean, that is frankly what has propelled this whole change in the program uh, and particularly, you know, the offensive approach is playing Stanford-style football, the mm-hmm. punishing uh, big lineman, tight end fullback, you know, uh, pro-style sets. And so that will be kind of the referendum of this change and what it's done. Um, so, you know, given that they've gone, as we said, 15-1 and one in, in August and September under Jim Moore in the four years, I think that a, a good start is probably in line and you know when we get that Stanford game that's going to be the real test where we see is this worth it is this paying off are they where they need to be to do what they want to do here the bare facts is going to come at you once a week at least during football season I know Ben was so excited when I said we're going to do this Ben and Ben said absolutely we're doing it now and here's the name that I've been dreaming of forever when I have my own podcast he was ready he was born to live near UCLA he was born to cover the Bruins and uh, we'll see what he thinks when the season's all done. <laughs> you know, Lindsay, I think like zero of that was true, but it was it was entertaining. But those like, were the we, facts. Those well, are the facts. Those are I the say facts. they're the facts. Okay, but we won't get into all the bad Bruin pun headlines or, or names for this podcast that I threw out there that you. What was the just, one you really wanted? Um, well, there were lots of them. Bruin I think stra- droppings. No, that was not me. That was somebody else. I would never go with something that uh, that profane. I think uh, Strange Bruin was was my favorite, but a, a riff off of an early '80s. Uh, uh, Milwaukee Brewery movie. I told I told folks that was it, but I, I lied a little bit. Okay, just give us a few quick facts. People like to know their beat reporters these days. I mean, you're on social media. You're at LATB Bolch, and uh, during your off time, I think people can find you perhaps uh, going through a few wineries. If you stop by any nice college town with a you know right outside of Eugene, some wineries. Yes. Uh, you go to Pullman, maybe take a little drive over to uh, the Tri Cities or Walla Walla, wherever that is, for some wine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so tell these people what you like, Ben. Yes, uh, you you've uh, I think you've neglected the big one. Uh, Napa Valley is not too far from uh, Cal and, uh, and and Stanford, so. Yes, I will definitely be hitting up some of my favorite spots on the off days. We definitely want to get to Walla Walla, uh, so, some, some just incredible wine. And, and also throughout the Willamette Valley, as you said, not too far from Eugene, closer to Portland. But uh, 
I've got those road trips. Uh, they don't they don't play they don't play uh, up in Oregon this year uh, for football. I'm a little disappointed oh, in that, but uh, I will definitely be getting to or or well Pullman. Uh, how far is Pullman from uh, from Walla Walla? It's like two hours, two and a half hours. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, look for me in those areas uh, when you're going to games. And and you also like movies. I do. Uh, I like uh, movies that you. Uh, apparently, seen. I've never seen or get any sort of reference to what I have to say, but I'm not a big uh, we'll, movie I'll work person. on you about that. Yeah, you got. You got. I'll give you a list of things Gary you need to start Klein, watching. Gary Klein has given me lists. Chris Dufresne, uh, Chris Dufresne now with the Media Guides. Give them a follow. Uh, gave me a list of movies. Haven't watched any of those. I think Casablanca was on. Oh, one of those. you haven't, I haven't even seen watched that. that? No. What, so, what's but your all-time favorite movie? Pretty Woman. Oh gosh. <laughs> Nope. That's going to do it. Yeah. We can't, we, we're done. That, that's like <laughs> drop the mic moment, isn't it? All right. So that's my favorite movie. Ben's going to be at the wineries. Uh, and then we'll also be at football practice. Ben, every day I'll be stopping by every once in a while. And uh, together we'll make it work. Sounds great. The Bear Facts. The Los Angeles Times. Give Ben a uh, follow on Twitter. L-A-T-B Bulch. Um, and I am at Lindsay Theory. And we will see you again or talk to you again on the podcast in a week. Thank you.